Previously on See You in Another Life, Brothers. What are you doing here? I, uh, well, I just, uh... You've got some nerve coming back here after you puked all over my season one DVD box set. But I, uh, um, well, I don't remember anything. Uh, Who are you? Don't you go faking amnesia on me. That's not gonna work this time. Fine. To be honest, I, I I just wanted you to think that I could take care of that DVD box set. You'll never take care of any DVD, let alone a box set. Well, did I at least get the job selling copiers? No! <sighs> okay, I guess I'll go back to selling heroin. Welcome to See You in Another Life, brothers. My name is Joe Betcher, and I will be your tour guide through the show Lost. And joining me is my co-tour guide, Andy. Andy Betcher. How you doing, Andy? I am good. How about you? Doing well, but I must ask that our listeners keep their arms and legs inside the podcast at all. I can't keep this up. I can't. That would... That would have been a a, a pretty uh, specific energy to have for this episode. Yeah, I, I can't do it. I I know we t- that we we were gonna do it as a po- as like a tour guide and kind of do that this week. I just can't. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. That's okay. It might it might have gotten a little bit awkward with some of the some of the heavy material we get in this episode, but you know, I don't know. Yeah, I was going to I was going to do like look to your right, you'll see Claire getting abducted and look to your left, you'll see Charlie shooting eat. Well, that yeah, and that would have gotten kind of kind of awkward. Look to it? your right and you'll see a, a dead body washing up on shore with all of his uh fingers in his uh or the bones in his fingers broken. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> look over there, you'll see overkill. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, well, I guess that gives it away. We're talking about a very uh Heavy episode of Lost Homecoming, which is not related at all to that Spider-Man movie. This came before that. This was Homecoming before it was cool, people. This was this was the Homecoming. And then Spider-Man had to steal that name. Dumb. Dumb. Come on, Marvel. What are you doing? Seriously. But anyway, it it, it is kind of a interesting name for this week's episode i don't know if it really it doesn't tie into a whole lot other than the fact that claire's coming back to the island did you get any other tie-ins than that not really i mean yeah that's a really good point it's it's funny because that title works on one level in the fact that every time i look at the list of episodes you know like if i if i just notice homecoming it's like oh yeah that's when claire comes back Mm -hmm. but I always forget that it's a Charlie episode because of that, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. that is kind of an interesting consequence. It's a weird, it's a weird title for that reason. Yeah. I I wonder, I wonder if it relates a little bit. It it, it is a very British episode with him, you know, Mm. there's a lot of, you know, that in the flashback, uh, Sure. him and seeing this, you know, this well-off guy who's into all that old British lore and everything. Maybe a little bit there, but 
not not a ton to relate to the title necessarily i don't find in this episode maybe they couldn't figure out anything to really sum it up other than homecoming right yeah it is it is kind of an interesting it's it's fun to analyze the titles throughout the series you know i mean there's some of them that have a lot more deep meaning and this one is kind of like claire's back okay Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) yeah some of them are just like oh okay some of them are like, well, you know, all the best cowboys do have daddy issues, so I guess that's <laughs> that's accurate. But others are a little deeper. Mm-hmm. So why don't we just uh, hop right into this episode? As the episode, it just you are right into it mm-hmm. when this episode starts. Right, you are. Charlie wakes up, and as we saw last week, previously on Lost. Uh, Locke and Boone find Claire in the jungle while out in the middle of the night looking for a dog, which still kind of seems like a bad, a weird <laughs> time to do it. But fortunately, they were out there at that time because Claire came back. What do you know? Yeah, this well, in this episode, like you were saying, it just begins right away. And the pace of the entire episode, at least everything on the island to me feels like it kept kept going at a pretty quick pace the mm-hmm. entire time oh, yeah. um which you know i mean i i really like the episode but overall i feel like the flashbacks were almost unwelcome in this one <laughs> yeah. to me because the pace of everything on the island felt like it was so dire and so quick that every time we cut back to Charlie out like off the island, I was like, okay, yeah, he had, he did some bad stuff. Okay, <laughs> you know, and um, which is just kind of an interesting thing. But um, you know, I don't know if you felt the same way about the episode, but uh, that was just what I found myself thinking this time. Yeah, I agree. It feel it feels like a very quickly paced episode, almost like the writers painted themselves into a corner a little bit with this type of episode where they're trying to make it this is an action-packed suddenly very action-packed episode all the the other ones have had action but this is very um earned action where it's like this has been building you're like claire's back okay ethan's coming back oh what's gonna happen here what's gonna happen there and we really care more about what's going on on the island than what's going on with charlie and his flashbacks necessarily although i do think there's some there's some interesting things to Mm-hmm. kind of piece together with that flashback and how it relates to the island sure. uh, but yeah i agree i i do i do find it interesting how quickly paced this episode was to i almost for some reason i was thinking it i forgot i thought that more than one person got ethan killed more than one person you know yeah and i was thinking like i thought there were a couple times where ethan meets charlie in the jungle but it's just once Mm-hmm. For, some, for some reason, both of those just is like, oh, just one of those. Oh, just one of those. Um, but so that was that was interesting rewatching it again, mm-hmm. kind of how you remember it and how it is. I think I, you know, I think that part of it for me, because I think I was thinking the same thing. You know, I, I thought that there was going to be another death before, you know, they finally confront Ethan. Um, and I think maybe because of the earlier death of um the woman uh that jack couldn't save mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the fact that that happened like she drowned and then you know this other person uh in this episode was uh in the water was killed and everything 
I feel like those get mixed up in my mind. So maybe I, I associate them with the, this episode somehow, or I mix them together. Um, but I, it's funny that you say that. Cause I, I was kind of thinking the same thing watching this, like, wait, doesn't, does he think kill someone else? And, mm-hmm. and he didn't, you know, so it's just kind of funny. Yeah. Well, there are literally so many, um, like when Hurley was, is doing the funeral in the, the episode, I thought it was <laughs> when he says, I never know how to end these, like when has Hurley had to do those before? Oh, when they did it back with the uh, burn the fuselage, <laughs> and then they've had to do it with the woman who drowned and different things. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of those throughout the series. So maybe we're just yeah, we're conflating ones that happen later with yeah. this episode. Um, but yeah, Ethan only kills um, uh, Steve. Mm, dude, that was Scott. Sorry, man. Sorry, I kept calling you Steve. <laughs> Poor, let's just have a moment. Can we, would you mind, this might be a little weird. Would you mind if we had a moment of silence for Scott? You know, I think it's earned. Let's do it. And that's enough. That was, I feel like, I hope everyone listening took that moment too. Uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, Scott was a good guy. He uh, did some stuff earlier in season one. I forgot that he only made it through like, what, this is episode 13. Mm-hmm. So poor guy didn't make it all the way through. But... You know, I, I, uh, something makes me uh, guess that maybe the listeners were, were checking their notes to see if uh, just in case that we had it right. And Steve wasn't the one who was killed in this episode, but nope, mm-hmm. it was, it was Scott. Yes, it was Scott. Let me check my notes to make sure. Yep. Sawyer says, guess old Steve drew the short straw. And Hurley says, dude, that's Scott. <laughs> there. Boom. And I do love that moment with Sawyer. <clears throat> yeah. Because it that's Sawyer in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> and then, okay. of course, uh, Hurley, you know, I maybe we already mentioned it. Sorry, I kept calling you Steve, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good so good those extra characters they get they get the shaft again and again just <laughs> raw into the deal well all these oh, other characters yeah. are having to character development and going through emotional things and coming out the other side better people these all the rest of these people are just having a crappy month basically <laughs> yep uh-huh. but Terrible. back to those more important characters claire <laughs> is a very important character uh, they bring her back. Um, Jack asks Locke, "Where? How'd you find her?" And I just wanted to point out really quick: there, this moment drives me nuts every time. How Locke says, "We were looking for the dog." He almost adopts oh. like a southern accent <laughs> in that moment. We're looking for the dog. That's amazing. I didn't notice that. I'm gonna have to go back. <laughs> if you if you didn't notice it, everyone, go back and watch that moment. It, it is weird. It's like Terry O'Quinn's southern accents coming out even though he's not southern for some reason (laughs) (laughs) and and it's about yeah go ahead it's always funny when there's like a a character says something weird and that just sticks in your brain like that Mm -hmm. that's so funny well Locke has a few of those in this episode like when you know they're doing they have the climactic scene with ethan and they they adr Oh yeah, Locke in there, but only Locke, and that's always driven me nuts. He's like, "Over here, over here," 
uh, <laughs> no, we got him. Jack's got him. And then he said, yeah. Claire, are you okay? I'm like, why is no one else? No one else is. It's like they only could get Terry O'Quinn to come in to do the, the, the voiceover that day. <laughs> well, and that scene always makes me laugh a little bit too, because it's like his voice suddenly just cuts through the mi- the audio mix of everything else. And it's just Terry O'Quinn over here, over here. And like, they've been like, Jack has been fighting Ethan yeah. for like a good minute at that point. And mm-hmm. like, where was Locke? You know, it just took him forever. And then suddenly he's shouting um, and, over everything else. And what is Saeed doing, by the way, go back and watch that. He's just standing <laughs> there. It's, it's like one of those movies where, you know, the the bad guy and the heroes are fighting, but they take turns, you know, one at a mm-hmm. time. <laughs> Why isn't Saeed getting in there? And yeah, uh, like, you know, he could grab Ethan, hold him as Jack beats him to a pulp, that sort of thing. But just kind of a weird moment there. Saeed's just like, no, Jack needs this. He needs to <laughs> he needs to win. <laughs> He needs to have his victory after he got the crab kicked out of him last time. Yeah. And he does have his redemption, so that's good. Yeah. But once again, we're getting off the the very important point that Claire is back. Homecoming. Homecoming. Um, But she doesn't remember them. What? What? Who are you people? I don't remember any of you. I don't remember any of this. (sighs) Come on, Claire. What? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Actual amnesia. No show has done that before. No, not at all. <laughs> but I think of all, like you know, of all the moment, the characters, anything. I think this is very earned. It feels like, especially when you find out later what happened with Claire. Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense that she sort of, kind of, just blocked everything out. It's, it's. It's got to be a lot. It's overwhelming. You've already been in a plane crash. You're pregnant. You get abducted. Um, just a whole lot of trauma that mm-hmm. uh, like her brain just couldn't handle it all. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to that point, like the in, you know, the, the last time we saw Claire, she was having those nightmares and all that stuff. You know, she was having the like we were talking about how stressed um of all the survivors you know from the plane crash and stuff mm-hmm. like of course she would be stressed out of her mind being pregnant you know on on this island with a bunch of strangers and then you know there's a monster all of this stuff like she's already stressed out of her mind and then she gets kidnapped by some random guy you know and then everything else that happens but um, yeah, I, I definitely feel like there there are some shows or movies that don't feel like they earn the amnesia trope, and I feel like they did here. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think it's it puts... I, I, I really like the situation it puts Charlie in. It's awkward, but it, it's really interesting to see how he reacts to it all, where, you know... Claire can't remember him. He can't, she can't remember any of this. He, he just read her diary and found out that, you know, she kind of likes him. And she, you know, uh, he, he makes her feel safe. And mm-hmm. now that's just all gone, um, which got to be frustrating. 
but the way he sort of tries to, you know, win her back um, by kind of bonding with her in those, in these moments. And as you know, he points out rather, you know, you can argue about his motivation when, you know, they're talking later with Jack and Saeed and Locke. And he's like, you know, um, I'm going to go, you guys can talk about Claire all you want, but I'm going to go actually spend some time with her. I get the impression she might still be a tad upset. Mm -hmm. He, as, as Claire points out, everyone's kind of looking at her and not wanting to interact with her. And he's, he's going for it. Um, even though it's sort of awkward. Sure. It's an interesting dynamic that starts to play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I agree. Like I, I like the, what it does for Charlie in the episode and, um, and yeah, I mean, it just puts him in a very sympathetic light for the viewer, I think, um, right away, because you're just like, man, Charlie, like we, we've already felt for him so much because he was left for dead by Ethan. And then he, and he lost Claire and was wondering, you know, if she was okay and, and all of that and to get her back, but to have her not know about, um, their friendship and, you know, the bond that they had already began and all of that. Um, that's got to be so <laughs> disheartening and frustrating for him um, at that point to have to, you know, kind of start back at square one with her. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a cool way for it to be an episode about Charlie in that way. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of makes it very simple. And like if Claire had remembered everything and coming back it would have been a little more of a complex episode. You know, Claire would have had to explain everything that happened to her and all that. Right. This, 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 um, makes it very simple. And Charlie lays it out where he says, Ethan's the bad guy. He explains it to her. Ethan's the bad guy. And then she says, we're friends. And he says, yeah, we're friends. So it's Mm -hmm. a very back to basics, very, you know, this is how it is sort of thing. Mm -hmm which um, makes it a little, yeah, I can't imagine how this episode would be if Claire had actually remembered everything. Right. It would have been crazy because they would have found out about medical hatches and all that other stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, one thing I was thinking as, you know, as they're laying out the situation for her, you know, and uh, like when she says, the last thing I remember is I was on a plane and Jack says, you know, we, we were all on that plane. And and going from this point forward, you know, like that whole conversation, I just thought it was interesting to imagine, like, what if, if Lost was a completely different story? Like if Claire, if they were going to tell the story from like Claire's perspective, mm-hmm. this would have been a really interesting place to begin the story. Or, like, you know, to begin a telling of a story like this. Like, imagine a movie or a TV show just beginning with, you know, somehow she wakes up and there's a bunch of people and she's like, the last thing I remember was I was on a plane. And they're like, we were all on that plane a month ago. You know, it's just kind of a cool, that's such a cool opening for this episode to kind of imagine what that would be like for Claire to to have lost a month 
in such an important time, you know, you're stranded on an island um, and to just like figure it out from there. Um, it's just, just kind of a cool um, new storyline that they created that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. That would have, that would be, that's almost like a twilight zone sort of plot. Yeah. Where totally. Can I trust these people? And you got like uh, all that intrigue that would go throughout the episode. Are they trustworthy? Are they not? Uh, trust is a big word in this episode uh, where, yeah, Claire's trying to figure out, can she trust the castaways? Can she trust Charlie? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a big question mark uh, because, I mean, he, he's act- it has to be a little weird where you, you feel like you don't know this guy and all of a sudden he's being very, very friendly to you and you're not quite sure how to take that. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. relates to the flashback. And this is, I, I think, to tie it in, you know, the flashback, we have Charlie, um, a drugged up Charlie with his friend, uh, his friend who needs to get more, wants to get more drugs, and needs Charlie to help him get them. Um, and the... Um, interaction that has to happen between Charlie and Lucy is sort of similar to what we have on the island with Charlie and Claire, where he's trying to get into this woman's good graces um, in a lot more of a deceptive way here, but sort of sort of a tie-in. I don't know if you caught caught onto that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, just the idea that. Um. In the flashback, it's Charlie keeping information from from someone who he ends up developing feelings for, and then in on the island, he's keeping information from someone who he because he because he cares about her, mm-hmm. and in and in both situations, um, he you know he's kind of. Uh, it ends up with bad consequences for him, at least in the the relationship. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting dynamic for that, for sure. You know, just seeing in the past the way, um, yeah, I guess his relationship um, with this girl develops based on a lie. And then on the island... there's there's a different lie a different sort of lie but it's but it's actually he thinks for her good so sure yeah there's deception on both um i think the difference of course in the flashback is charlie is dealing with it he clearly starts to care for lucy Mm -hmm. in the flashback but the drugs are sort of in the that's the barrier he doesn't have to deal with that on the island. Um, on the island, it's he's. You could say his deception may be more noble, but at the same mm. time, as Claire points out, I can take care of myself. So, I, I, honestly, as I was watching this episode, I'm trying to figure out throughout it what you know what lesson. It's kind of, it's more clear in the flashback what lesson we're to learn. On the island, uh, it's a little 
it's a little tougher to try to figure that out. It's a little more ambiguous. I mean, maybe it's clear. I don't know. Maybe you found it clear, but as I'm watching it, I'm going, Hmm. I don't, I don't really know the exactly what the lesson is necessarily. We we can talk Mm. about that more as we go through the, through the episode. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, the, um, in the flashback, uh, I think we, we, this is clearly after what we found in the moth and now Charlie, that the band's kind of broken up as we find out. Um, but he's, I think it's, it's important to point out that, uh, the, the guy, Tom or whatever his name is, who's using Charlie to get the drugs, he uses drive shaft to sort of amp up his confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, or he says, ready to fall in love, Mr. Charlie Pace from the legendary drive band, rock band, Drive Shaft. And Charlie says, absolutely. So that is sort of the, he, he, his ego is still there in the band. Um, and that's, he even plays, you all, everybody, when he <laughs> gets him, you know, <laughs> he's having him hit on her. Mm-hmm. You know, I was curious about that moment when they're when they're playing "You All Everybody" um, while while they're in that bar and everything. Do you think because Charlie doesn't their conversation does not acknowledge that song at all? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was curious. Do you think his friend was playing that song? solely just to give like charlie confidence or you know because you would think he was playing it you know initially i always when i see this episode i feel like i always think uh he's playing the song and then the next shot is going to be charlie being like oh my gosh this is so embarrassing that's me or something like that you know Mm -hmm. but they never acknowledge it um so i feel like to me, it seems like that's that's what he's doing. Just giving Charlie that extra boost of saying, like, like you're pretty awesome, right? You know? Um, yeah. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but... No, that's interesting. I did notice that, and I did have the thought where he... Obviously, I think he put that on the jukebox to give Charlie, like, uh, oh, hey, this is my song. I was in the band, you know, Drive Shaft. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly, that does come up at some point. Because right. she finds out that he's in drive, but it doesn't come out there, and I think it, it's significant because that shows that you know it, to do to use the band would sort of be artificial because clearly the band isn't his; it's not working anymore. Like you said, drive shaft may be dead later. Um, it's it's significant that they're not talking about that. I think it's it shows that he actually, the real Charlie cares about this woman not the artificial charlie Mm. i think there's two different charlies in the flashback and we see the real one there and that's why when he says you're ready to fall in love he says absolutely um and he really means it you kind of get the feeling there not like Mm. i'm falling in love to steal from this woman i'm i'm actually care about her right significant yeah that's 
that's interesting. Yeah, to to think of there's there's kind of two, two Charlies that you see in the flashback. I think that's definitely true. Mm-hmm. And then as we move on to that the next scene in the flashback where um, she they go back to her place and she she uh, says she tells him about her father. He already knew about her father. That's why he's you know stealing from her because her father's loaded. Uh, but uh, the fact that he agrees to meet her father is significant. It's like, there, there's, I mean, yeah, maybe he has to go along with it because he's going to steal from her. Maybe that's what he's thinking. But, you know, you'd probably make, if you're going to steal from this woman, you probably don't want to meet the old man. Mm-hmm. You just want to get it. Maybe you make an excuse, maybe you steal it that night, that sort of thing, and get out of there. You don't want to get in deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. so i think that's significant as well the other half of charlie is like no i i actually kind of want this mm-hmm. yeah i feel like just as you were describing that there i was thinking about you know if if sawyer watched this episode he would be like this guy is a terrible con man <laughs> you know like he like you don't need to meet the dad you know you don't need to take the job you know like like charlie but it, yeah, you're totally right. It's like Charlie, you can see the, along the way, he keeps, uh, he's developing feelings for her in in each flashback. Yes. Um, even though he began this relationship on, you know, on a lie, you know, he, it was based on his friend telling him, you know, her dad's loaded, you know, you can steal from her. Um, and they've got enough stuff where you should be able to even do it undetected, you know? Um, but yeah, I think with each one of those decisions, we see him going further and further down a path that like is not going to end up well, you know, based on every other show or movie about a character developing a relationship based on a lie, you know, you, it's, it's never going to work. No, but yeah, Charlie, and I think this is kind of the core of the flashback that Charlie keeps going deeper. Like what we talked about when we talked about the moth, we talk about how Charlie, you know, he wanted, he, he loves music. He wanted to be a great rock musician because he, he saw, he thought that would take him to a place where he'd be, you know, kind of making a difference in the world or doing something great for people, or he would feel better um uh that it would lead to some higher purpose but mm-hmm. of course then we see in that climactic scene where he's talking to Liam it, it, this is the end of the rainbow charlie this is it it's just drugs and booze and women that's it mm-hmm. um so charlie hits that wall and he does drugs to dull that pain um and then Liam leaves and now all he has left is the drugs and he has to keep doing the drugs because that's the nature of drugs. So we find him here having to do these, he's, he's been degraded to just an errand boy to get money, to get drugs. This is really Mm -hmm. kind of Charlie's low point. Mm -hmm. But in that, you know, he, he, he doesn't really have the music anymore because Drive Shaft's dead. As he, he's thinking about doing solo projects, but I think in Lucy and in her dad, he starts to see 
another maybe another avenue toward meaning you know where he can actually be somebody Mm -hmm. be respectable as he puts it um and that's why he's like you know what i kind of do want to meet the dad um Mm -hmm. and he meets him and that scene it's we see the the true charlie come out and he wins them over with his vulnerability which I don't think he intended to do, obviously, when that that dinner party started. Right. But he he hears her dad's story about how he was he wanted to he had a band, he gave it up uh, because he wanted to be, as he puts it, more practical. A man has to provide to take care of his family, think about his future. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of triggers Charlie. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that's, you know, if you think about the sad position he's in, um, he's never thinking about something as, you know, abstract or or forward thinking, I guess, you know, as the future. He's only ever thinking about current, you know, like where, where do I get my next fix, you know? Um, so to hear the dad say yeah like it, a man has to provide to be practical responsible um to think about the future yeah i think that goes back to like like you were saying from the moth where he he has he sets his sights on something these high aspirations and then gets you know pulled down by by drugs or whatever mm-hmm. else you know and when he hears in this episode something that he like strikes a chord within him that you know he wishes he could be like that then he goes after it um i think it's interesting you know that flashback goes right to um charlie talking to his friend again Mm -hmm. um and uh one one kind of contrast between charlie and his friend that i thought was interesting right off the bat was that charlie um you know his friend is upset because charlie just took a job Mm -hmm. and then um his friend i forget the exact line he says but he's uh saying he says something along the lines of like uh we uh he says something about the party continuing you know like he he wants the party to continue which is like you know the young man's focus at, whereas charlie is trying to be like the respectable yeah. man uh, i just thought that choice of words party in contrast to him taking a job w- was like a perfect just kind of obvious distinction between these two halves of charlie right mm-hmm. there you know the one that just wants to party and and do drugs and never move on from the present and then this part of himself that wants to build a future uh and be respect or uh, responsible yeah and i i do yeah that scene it's telling because charlie actually uh, echoes uses the exact same language that her father was using where he says i don't think liam's coming back i have to think about my future he has to think Mm. and so he's saying yeah, I have to, uh, he, he's completely sold on what her father was saying. Um, 
And I also think it's significant in that scene that Charlie does mention that Liam just had a daughter. Um, His older brother now has a family. Um, His older brother who told him that uh, he would be a rock god. Suddenly he's a family man now. I think that also kind of is uh, just making Charlie's world kind of go a little crazy where he's like, I don't, yeah, maybe that's, Driveshaft may be dead, the music, maybe that was not the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. And so he's having a, having a moment there. He's having a, he's having a, not a midlife crisis, but a crisis. Yeah. Yep. As he, as he kind of slowly trails on in that scene, it's like, I, I always think of, um, just the the look that the the dad gives to Lucy in that scene where they're just kind of like like oh man this guy's going through some stuff you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep totally and yeah it's clear that at this point Charlie wants to have the girl maybe a family but he also needs the drugs as his, as uh, whatever his name is points out um and that is holding him back. Um, and as we're talking about this, I do think I'm starting to see more of the tie-in between the flashback and the on-island stuff. You know, as we where Charlie clearly on the island, as we're mentioning. Um, he wants to have the he wants to have Claire. He wants to protect her. Um, and it's clear that, you know, external forces, namely Ethan, um, and everything going on there is making it difficult for him. I think there's sort of a tie-in there. But maybe before we go into that, I'm looking at the time. It looks like we need to take a break. So why don't we uh, why don't we do that? Yeah, and, sounds good. And then we shall return with more. See you in another life, brothers. After this, welcome back to see you in another life, brothers. We are talking homecoming. We are talking Charlie Pace. Uh, why don't we just dive right back in? I think uh, the island stuff where we left off. Um, we were talking about, you know, Charlie, he clearly wants to have this relationship again with Claire. Um, I do like the scene he has with, uh, as we kind of mentioned it already, with we got Saeed and Jack and Locke kind of having the powwow. And when Saeed's like, how do we know that this, uh, why would this pregnant girl... Why would this pregnant girl escape? How could that happen? <laughs> Maybe she's a spy now. <laughs> Saeed, kind of read the room, man. You got uh, Charlie over here who's uh, kind of maybe in love with her. Don't. Then <laughs> <laughs> we get non-burned out Jack kind of uh, making, you know, saying, that's a stretch, Saeed. Charlie, mm-hmm. calm down. <laughs> calm down the order. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I love, I just love the fact that throughout this episode, it's just kind of interesting to see um, 
these random moments where we kind of see like the the inner circle of mm-hmm. like the people making decisions for the whole group um and it's funny i mean of course it's a charlie episode so he's going to be in all of these groups or most of them or whatever you know but like the fact that um it's these four talking about it is just kind of interesting you know like like jack and saeed and Locke totally make sense yeah but it feels like charlie's there because of the emotional investment he has in her but you know it's just kind of an interesting group and i kind of think that you know that that point that's a really good point that charlie feels out of place in this group and why he feels out of place is we've got jack who's clearly the leader who's got you know the ex he's the doctor he's in charge we got Locke, who's the hunter he's the one providing for everyone he's got he clearly knows seems to know what he's doing as far as survival goes and we got saeed who's sort of the tech guy the you know he's he's figuring out the radio he's figuring out how to make the most of everything as far as tech goes mm-hmm. we got charlie who is the washed up rock star um <laughs> And I think that kind of is what, you know, in the flashback, he has the drugs that are keeping him from everything. Here, it's sort of status or expertise that is kind of weighing him down. He's sort mm-hmm. of, he's in the boon camp where, yeah. you know, he, 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 wants, he, he wants it. He wants to, you know, be able to be in these conversations, look out for Claire but he just doesn't have what these other guys have through no fault of his own. Really. He's just coming up against the, the wall, so to speak. Right. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good connection. You know, I mean like he, in, in the flashbacks, he's powerless because of his addiction, you know, and here it's just cause he's just Charlie, you know, like what, what what's he gonna bring to the table necessarily but mm-hmm. um being the bassist from from a band that was popular for for a few years yeah and i think it, it, it fuels the the next scene where you know charlie storms off he's like i'm gonna go actually uh, take care of claire by being with her <laughs> which does she really want him to be with her right now <laughs> it's debatable but he goes into the jungle and he finds a gin. And I do <laughs> when he's he's talking to Jin, and it's funny because it's almost like he's he's sort of puffing himself up with Jin. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, It must be nice to not have to be in on all these important conversations, Jin, because I have to be in on all of these. <laughs> he doesn't. He do, he's forcing himself into these conversations. Uh, it must be nice to just be blissfully unaware. You you don't have to be this way, Charlie. But it, it feels like he he he's like I have to be this way because I want to be respectable, right? Mm. Well, and it's interesting, you know. Even as as you say that, yeah, he's like he's like to not have the sort of responsibility 
of this weight, you know, that I have or whatever. Um, but he also is describing what he wants in a way to be a guy who only like his, his main concern is, you know, Mm -hmm. he mentions like taking care of his wife, you know, making sure that she's taken care of, which is kind of what this episode is about for Charlie wanting to have someone that he can take care of, you know? And so it's, it it almost plays on a couple different levels what everything he's saying to Jin. Um it's kind of a look inside his psyche in in that moment. Very true. Yeah, he's he he finds someone just to kind of vent to who doesn't understand him and he's he's revealing stuff about himself in that moment. Um mm-hmm. which, you know, could be kind of uh cathartic for him a little bit maybe, but it's interrupted by that nice that nice man you know he hasn't been in a few episodes but that nice ethan he's back ethan just strolls up and he's like oh hey charlie uh you know i just got a little message i gotta let you know about you know no big deal he comes on in and he, he throws something to Jin, and Jin misses it hits him in the chest he falls over nice job mr butterfinger catch that <laughs> one later and he says hey charlie i uh, just wanted to let you know that if you don't bring me back claire i'm gonna kill one of them one of your friends each day until i'm you're the only one left and then i'm gonna kill you and charlie was like oh well that makes sense okay <laughs> yeah uh, when you when you put it that way it doesn't seem so bad but <laughs> cut to the episode and how terrifying it is <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah uh, and the the threat i think is significant because uh ethan is threatening to um do a few things to charlie isolate him which is devastating the other he needs other people he needs the survivors, but it's also he's he's threatening to make him feel powerless, mm-hmm. um, make him feel like he's all he can do is give over this innocent woman to Ethan, which is similar to how his friend in the flashback has Charlie in his grip. He's like, he, Charlie can't go anywhere but take advantage help him take advantage of this innocent woman. Mm. So Ethan is playing that part here in in the on the island um by sort of making him feel powerless. Mhm. Yeah, that's super interesting. The yeah, and well what a I feel like it's really just an effective scene in in many levels but one thing i was thinking about in the scene is um i feel like because we only see ethan like this one time before the end of the episode it just makes makes it more of a i don't know there's something more terrifying about about that threat you know that makes it feel like charlie is really powerless like all of these characters are powerless um like in the in the earlier scene where Locke and Boone are talking and Boone is like do you think he's do you think he's out there right now and Locke is like I sure hope not or whatever oh. you know and just the idea that this guy is just out there 
and they don't know if he's got more people with him or not, but he could be watching them. You know, apparently he's just familiar with the island and they don't, they're, you know, it's still not their, um, you know, home territory or anything. Um, just the fact that we only get this one scene with him really does make all of the characters feel so powerless, um, super effective. Yep. And it leads to that next scene where, uh, right away, Charlie's like, what do we do? We go, we kill him. We bloody kill him. It's <laughs> Charlie's. And I want to, I want to touch on this. We can touch on it right now with Jack and Locke. Once again, we get very clear distinction between Jack and his sort of philosophy on, you know, uh, strategy and different things like that. And Locke, where Charlie says, we go and we kill him. And Jack's like, I think he's right. Um, <laughs> he's, we, we, we know that he's threatened us. We got to go in. It's the same thing as all the best cowboys where he's, we just got to run after him. And Locke is the one who sits back and kind of takes the whole thing in and says, no, um, we got to kind of plan this out. Uh, we got to think about this logically where, you know, we're not on his turf. Um, it's just a, a really good, we, we get the distinction between Jack and Locke very clearly in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love anytime there's dynamics between Jack and Locke, um, it, you know, as kind of a central theme of the episode and they weave it in throughout this one so well. It's, it's, it's fun to see a non burnt out Jack talking to Locke and there, and it's neither one of them are the central figures of the episode. So um, we're just able to see them purely, you know, the way Jack is like, we got to go after him. Locke is like, no, we need to be logical. Um, and just the back and forth throughout the episode is just just fun to watch. I love those characters. Mm-hmm. Totally. So um, they decide to go with Locke's plan. And it doesn't quite work. <laughs> um, not quite. Not quite. Uh, but before that, we do get the scene with Charlie Um Claire asking him what's going on, and Charlie says, "Not nothing's going on." He just he makes the decision right then and there. It's like he he wanted to go in and kill Ethan, and Jack was with him, but it turned into Locke's plan. Once again, Charlie's been sort of uh, neutered, or he can't do what he wants to do, and so he he's like, "I still." want to take care of Clara. So I'm going to do it with, by lying. Um, he's looking for any means necessary to keep that, uh, keep that status where he can actually take care of her. Yep. And, and I feel like you, you can't blame him on, on one front, you know, because it's like, she's, she's pregnant, gone through an incredibly stressful thing, has amnesia, you know, like, he wants to he he truly thinks like the best thing is just to say like hey don't worry everything's going to be fine <laughs> you mm-hmm. know um 
so like you can sympathize with that but of course like later for claire it's like yeah she she would want to know what's going on you know she can take care of herself she doesn't she doesn't need him you know deciding for her what she can't handle um but yeah it's just i i always feel feel for charlie in in that whole respect of this episode like he just was trying to do what he thought he he should you know yeah totally yeah it, there's it, it, there's an admirable quality to it it's it's definitely better than him lying to a woman because he's he wants he, he <laughs> drugs right but there's still an element of it where he's he's forcing it you know he's yeah. forcing this what he wants to take care of her um trying going for it a little too hard that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but you can see that there's that moment where he and Jack are walking together and Jack says, well, everyone will be safe. And he says, no one's safe. It's my fault. I, it's my fault. He took her. I was responsible. I should have taken care of her. I should have, we get, you know, it coming out where he's like, he, he feels such a weight on mm-hmm. himself to do this. So it comes from a, a place where he's, it's almost like um, putting all this pressure on himself uh, because he's like, this is the, the way I can actually have worth. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and using that word responsibility, you know, I, I, I was responsible um, for what happened um, where he, it's almost like by taking that on, he's saying, you know, I need to redeem and show that I can be responsible now, you know, that I can be uh, respectable, that I can provide and take care um, and all of that. Um, His word choices throughout the episode definitely kind of betray what, what he's focusing on a lot throughout um, you know, you can see that as as kind of a central motivation that he wants to um, be responsible, that he wants to um, be the one who can do the right thing, um, and and of course he's also terrified of of what is happening now because of Ethan. But yeah, totally. And what does happen because of Ethan, um, as we already have mentioned, for Scott draws the proverbial short straw. Um, I do want to, I think we should talk about uh, that whole scene real quick with Boone and. Oh yeah. Just uh, Boone is everyone. (laughs) If there is one, the most relatable character on lost could be Boone Mm -hmm. because he's sitting there. They've got this plan. They're going to be, they, they're going to uh, make sure Ethan doesn't get in. They're posting sentries. Boone, I want to be a sentry. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay up. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's Boone. He, he has such good intentions. It's like Charlie. Mm-hmm. Boone and Charlie are kind of similar. They have good intentions. just doesn't pan out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do like the moment where Locke says, 
we're counting on you, Boone. And Boone kind of has that, that smile on his face. It's like, oh, my dad just said he's counting on me. <laughs> thanks, Dad. I mean, uh, thanks, John. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it... Uh, it is it is unfortunate the whole uh boon falling asleep and all that stuff but uh you know in a positive way of looking at it he finally discovered vincent you Uh know that's what he set out to do at the end of last episode so there you go found vincent yep so there we go we found another missing castaway yep and then the lady screams (sighs) oh poor scott poor scott why break all his fingers and all that? What I think that's just that's the writers kind of making that. Okay, we need to make this guy seem really evil. So when Charlie kills him, it feels very justified. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that part's always been like, like okay, um, <laughs> how how many ways can they say this guy's the bad guy? You know. <laughs> Like, I mean, they even literally say it at one point in the episode. Ethan's the bad guy. No. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's it's effective. It's mm-hmm. pretty terrifying, you know. Yeah, it's very dark. Mm-hmm. Very dark, and poor Claire has to find out about it from Shannon. <sighs> and then we we have that scene where she says, "Why would you keep me in the dark, Charlie? I'm already in the dark." And Charlie says, sorry, I just wanted to take care of you. And Claire, very defiantly, says, I can take care of myself. Which, Claire may have lost her memory, but we, there's some good character development with Claire. This is a reminder of kind of, we, we saw her sort of starting to fall for Charlie. And this is Claire sort of reverting to her, you know, relationship with thomas where he left her and now once again she's like i don't want to have to depend on any man um Mm -hmm. because they're just going to lie to me like charlie did Mm -hmm. so we get that there that is a that is a good point i mean she for her it's like she has just no time between being on the plane and now you know and so yeah like she she's back in that the the character development we've seen so far is is gone you know like um that's that's kind of a cool way to think about it there um mm-hmm. we get i think the next thing we have to talk about is kate um going to jack and they got the key they got that gun case um i always remember by the way whenever i'm trying to put myself to sleep at night um, going through the episodes of Lost in Order. Oh, yeah. I, I always remember that whatever the case may be comes before Homecoming because they need to get the guns before they can uh. kill Ethan. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's just a little memory device. Um, so, yeah, clearly they've got these guns. They've got this guy who's a murderous, raving lunatic that's stalking the camp. Um Jack is hesitant, to his credit, to start handing out guns to everyone, just worried that people shoot each other. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it's significant that where he goes to Locke 
Um, Cause he still has, even though, you know, as we saw, Jack has been kind of questioning Locke a little bit. He still goes to him because he's probably the guy that has the most, maybe the most concept of he's the tracker. He's got all the, the expertise as far as hunting goes. He asks him point blank. He's like, can we, can you track him? And Locke lays it out. Like there is no point in tracking him. There's no point in trying to get on the, um, to try to do any of that. Uh, we don't have any advantage. So finally Jack says, okay, we have to get the advantage back and we get the guns. Mm-hmm. I love the, I love that. And then I love the scene where, you know, Jack is just like, okay, follow me. And then they go and they get that case. And I just always love the moment where Locke sees him pull the case out and then suddenly like whirls around like, oh, is anyone watching us right now? You know, <laughs> this is some top secret stuff going on here, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doctor, you've been holding out on us. And at the end of that scene, when he gives Locke the gun mm. and Locke, you know, does the whole, the cool <laughs> with the gun <laughs> and then he holds it up. I just love the edit. It's just such a perfect, just such a smooth edit at the end of that scene where Locke's looking at him with the gun and then the, the corners of his mouth uh, start to rise as the music ascends and then they go to commercial, it's like just uh. the slightest smile creeps across his face. Uh, I just love that moment um, mm-hmm. because it's sort of, it, it, once again, the enigma that is John Locke, this is a very somber thing they're doing where they're, they have to get these, have these guns out because they've got this crazy guy going after them. But the look on Locke's face, there is almost a playful look and you're like, Okay. Um not not totally sure about Locke there in that moment. They do a great that, that, that I just like that moment where you're like Locke is kind of a wild card still. I'm not quite sure. Oh yeah, definitely. I love that. I uh that that moment I think if I remember right, I I might be wrong, but that moment where Jack gives Locke the gun and he's like, do you know how to use a gun? And then, you know, he unloads it and reloads it or whatever. Um, I think that's the first instance of that classic trope that they do in Lost where it's like, you know how to use a gun and the person has to, doesn't say they do, but they just like unload and reload the gun and then just like look at them. And it's like, yeah, you know how to use a gun, you know? (laughs) That's, I just think it's so funny. Like, oh, as soon as they did that, I was like, "Yeah, there it is." That classic lost gun trope. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is number one. We'll have to count them because it comes. Yeah, yeah. it does come again and again. It's we kind of had it in the pilot with. Uh, I don't know how to kid. Kate's. I don't know how to use a gun, and Saeed's like, "Here's how you use a gun. I know oh, exactly yeah. how to do." It. But this is the first time we get one character, yeah, doing that. They're gonna so. do it a few more times, definitely. It's coming, coming down the pipe. But so they get the guns, um, and I do like that they the the scene. You know, we um oh we, we get the the next scene is I believe where um Charlie's saying you guys are insane that sort of thing, 
um, because they want to use Claire as, as he puts it, bait. Um, and Claire says, I can talk for myself and says that nobly Claire decides that she wants to protect people from dying. So she says, yes, I'll do it. Charlie's none too pleased because he doesn't like using this woman who he feels like he's responsible for in such a reckless way. And when you think about it for a second, using a pregnant woman as bait is a pretty radical idea. (laughs) Yes. And I almost kind of see it as Charlie's looking now, not just at Ethan as his friend, you know, as, as how he, his, we should have a different term for the guy who's um, in the flashback. It's not his friend. It's his, the guy who's manipulating him. His drug um, buddy. His drug buddy. <laughs> he's not just looking at Ethan as that. Cause Ethan's forced, forcing him into this situation where he's going to, he's making him feel powerless. Jack, Locke, Saeed, they're doing it to him too mm. by saying, no, Charlie, we're going to take this woman who you want to protect and we're going to put her into this dangerous situation and you can't come along because you can't use a gun. Mm. It's He's like, are you kidding me? I have to just give her to you and she wants to go too. So now he's just totally powerless. Mm-hmm. Charlie's just standing there like, you guys know this is my episode, right? Come on. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like, what the heck? Um, and so they decide, no, Claire's coming with us. We're going to do it. Um, Charlie can't come with us. So uh, who else can we get to come along? Uh, but the uh, guy who shot a shot the marshal in the chest and missed <laughs> let's bring him along <laughs> yeah in in that moment jack is just like well he at least knows how to hold a gun so <laughs> he has pulled a trigger before it seems like the right guy yeah seems like there are other there's probably other people i mean there's some there's like 40 some castaways right mm-hmm you couldn't find anyone other than Sawyer <laughs> to bring along this guy. Um, he did shoot a polar bear. Okay, he shot a. Okay, so he shot a polar bear. <laughs> Just Maybe. imagine um, some of the like a, a couple nameless other castaways being like, "Hey, uh, you know, I I was in the military, you know, and all this stuff." And Jack walks right past them and is like, "Hey, <laughs> you tried to shoot a guy in the heart and you missed." Here's a gun, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you got top billing on this one. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he goes to Sawyer. He doesn't go to, um, Kate and he's clearly excited that, uh, okay. Sawyer's along and Kate wants to go, but Kate can't go now. Cause we have enough guns. We don't have enough guns. And then Sawyer gives her the gun, which is one of the, uh, I think is this the first instance? Yes, <laughs> where we of, of that, yeah, where it's Jack doesn't want Kate to come along, but Sawyer lets her come along, or Sawyer gives her permission to come along, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, I wrote I wrote both of those the gun thing and this down as 
oh, good, the first instance of uh, Kate wanting to come, Jack saying she couldn't come, and then she's able to come anyway, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you can just see it in Jack uh, Jack's eyes. He's like, oh, I hate this guy. I hate this guy so much. <laughs> Freaking Sawyer. But he's right. Five guns are better than four. All right. Yep. Let's do this. And so we have our five man, five, four man and one woman crew, and then Claire. Um, and I think that moment where Charlie, we have them preparing, and Saeed saying, uh, remember, guns are a matter of last resort. We want him alive. Um, I wonder if Charlie heard that. I don't think he did. He's too far away. Um, but <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But Charlie's staring at them angrily, um, just like, I can't, I'm helpless. Um, and I think in that moment, he's probably, and I, I do think this whole episode, it, there's clear moments where Charlie is remembering this flashback. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's probably remembering how it felt when, if we can jump back into the flashback where Lucy, um, get, Lucy give, has him come over. He's going to do his, his first day of work. Um, he's clearly not feeling the greatest. Um, but she is providing for him left and right. I think that's significant where she's giving him the brief, giving him the suit, giving him the briefcase, giving him, uh, giving him a ride. Um, she's doing all this because she says, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Charlie's going, ah, she believes in me. I can, I can be respectable. I can be respectable, but he's clearly looking at the, the cigarette holder there, church, the Churchill thing. And we got this dilemma in his mind where he's, he's, he's feeling so, helpless you can sense in that moment because not only is she giving him everything but he he feels this this compulsion to steal instead of doing the thing that would you know win her respect Mm -hmm. which it's interesting i hadn't thought about this until just now you know the fact that so you know as as his drug buddy said, you know, like, good luck on your first day of work, you know, not having done done drugs or anything, like, before your first day, you know, you're going to be going through withdrawal, all that stuff. Um, and he is, obviously. Um, but stealing um, the... I, I forget what it is. Uh, stealing it from um lucy in that moment so that he can have his friend sell it and everything it's not going to solve the fact that he's definitely going to bomb his first day of work Mm -hmm. um you know it's like if if he'd been if he wanted to just make it through and have any hope of um redeeming this relationship or anything like maybe he could have 
figured something else out before this first day of work so he wouldn't wouldn't bomb it but it's almost like because he's definitely done for you know there's no way he's gonna do well on this first day it's like you know of well i guess i'll just steal it anyway and you know i guess there's just no hope i wonder if he's thinking you know like there's there's not really a a way he can redeem this situation you would think um at that point and i wonder if that's why he goes through with taking it mm-hmm. but well i get the feeling that when he 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 takes the thing and she comes back in the room and he says well i better get going get the bus he was never he wasn't going to go to that job he was going to uh... take it and leave i get the feeling the fact that she decides she she is willing to give him a ride is the fact is the reason he goes. Ah, uh, that makes sense. I think that's probably it. That could be that's an interpretation, or I think you might be onto something. Well, I, I you know, the fact that he, you know, she drives him to the job, and then she drops him off. Why does he go in and do the presentation? Because he could have, you know, faked like he was going in and then just bolted. He actually goes in and does the full present. He tries to do the presentation. I think that the reason he he does that is he kind of he wants to have both. You know, he wants mm-hmm. to have both the drugs and the girl, and he's he's still convinced that he somehow can do this, which is insane, of course, because she's gonna see that that thing was stolen put two and two together even if he didn't puke all over himself Mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah yeah i mean it's one of those things where it's like a car crash happening in slow motion where where you know it's what's about to happen but you know the the person driving is still trying to be like well maybe maybe it won't you know or whatever like um like you just know this isn't gonna end well for him but some he's like maybe it might i'm still gonna try you know and mm-hmm. oh man it really doesn't yeah but she, but lucy believes in him mm-hmm. uh, i think is the core of that where he's she, he sees that this she's put her a hope in him um and he just can't let her down mm-hmm. uh <laughs> And that scene, the presentation, um, just talk about cringe. Um, yeah, the perfect music to go along with it too. Just <laughs> this is uh, not going well, uh, clearly from the start. And the th- the connection I made with that scene, I, I you know, you can kind of brush over that scene. Because uh, it's obviously sort of the comic comedy relief, sort of the anticlimax of the the the, the uh, episode. Because of course it's of course it goes terrible. It's not really anything surprising in that you could see it coming. But I th- I see that it kind of parallels um, the scene where he says, "I want to come along. I want to come along to Jack and Locke," mm-hmm. um, and they and Locke says. You know how to use a gun, Charlie? They're kind of looking at him knowingly. That's an embarrassing moment where it's like, no. Um, it's it's sort of like him puking all over the copier. Right. <laughs> where it, it's showing his limit. 
he hits that wall in both of those scenes. Uh, so that's the tie-in I saw. I totally agree. I I definitely saw that connection too, where it's just like, you know, they. I think even they they cut away from Charlie on the island to that flashback, and when they cut back, it's Charlie in the same place on the island. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. makes me definitely think that, you know, that was a moment where he feels humiliated and, you know, like somewhere in his mind, you know, it's connecting back to that feeling of humiliation of utterly bombing that sales call, you know, mm-hmm. um, which, by the way, a very funny scene um, and Dominic Monaghan does a great job. Um, yeah. I... I one of the little details of that scene that I just find so hilarious was the moment where he says, you know, he looks at the guy and the guy starts the timer and then uh as Charlie is looking back at the, you know, at the copier and it's not working and he's going flipping through the book to the manual to figure it out, they keep showing that guy is still timing him the entire <laughs> time. <laughs> Yep. And it's like, come on, come on, guy. Like, obviously, this is not the amount of time that you should be timing. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not the average amount of time it's supposed to take. But the fact that that guy keeps the timer going is the funniest detail in the world to me. <laughs> hey, he said, time it until it's done. So I'm going to time it until <laughs> it's done. It's my job. <laughs> Dang it. I'm going to do that. I've got one job during the sales call, and that is it. I'm going to do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, props to that guy. He he, you know, he kept going. Yeah, and he's yeah. still going to this day because they never got it copied. So <laughs> <laughs> he's just sitting in that room, still, all these years the later. World's worst copier, man. This copier sucks. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, he pukes all over the copier. And then we get the final scene with him and Lucy. um, Where the very fact that Charlie comes back, actually comes back and knocks on her door again, is proof positive that Charlie is delusional (laughs) in this thinking that, you know, there's two halves of him and that one half is just clearly trying to cling to something that the drugs were just continually slapping his hand away. Mm -hmm. Um, And Lucy's having none of it, of course. You're a liar. I believed in you and you lied. Um, And her question is, why did you take the job, Charlie? I get everything else. And it's kind of the thing we've been getting at here as we're discussing. It's why did you why why would he why would he agree to meet her dad? Why would he take the job? Why would he keep going? And his answer is, I guess I wanted to be respectable. I wanted you to think I could take care of you. Um, and Lucy kind of puts a dagger right in him and says, "You'll never take care of anyone." Yeah. Well, and. I like the fact that um, for Charlie, what he says there gives away the fact that um, 
he didn't think it through at all. Yeah. You know, the, the idea that he says, I, I wanted you to think that I could take care of you. Like that doesn't, that doesn't further him in any way with the, you know, the, the, the drugs angle. Um, but he still, you know, stole so that he could, you know, get the, get his drugs and, and all that. And so it just shows that he wasn't thinking through the end game. There was no end game in mind. Um, but in his heart, he wanted her to see him as the sort of person he wants to be. Um, and that, that was never going to work out. So for her to say, you know, you'll never take care of anyone. Like it makes, it makes sense because she sees him as that just person who didn't think it through and was only thinking about himself. And then he failed, you know, for himself. So he's never going to take care of anyone, let alone, you know, another person, um, beyond himself. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a heartbreaking moment, you know, another, another tragic Charlie episode. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I, that the word, I think the, the term, the key term as you're talking about that is I wanted you to think Mm. I could take care of you, which is there, there's the lie. Um, Charlie wants to have both and he knows that to have both the drugs and her means that he has to, that his respectability has to be artificial where it's, Mm -hmm. she thinks he can take care of her. He can't really, because he has to have his drugs all the time, but at least she thinks that and there's his respect, respectability. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's very faulty ground to try to stand on clearly. Um, and I think Charlie learned that lesson in the flashback and maybe he learned it a little too well Mm. because we get what we get in this episode in the climax of, um, on the Island, which we already talked about where they, I don't think we need to go in again, where, how this scene plays out where they're all surrounding Claire and then Jack beats the crap out of Ethan and we get the 80 yard lock. Um, <laughs> yep. But they have Ethan cornered and a gun, Jack's gun got off to the side and Charlie decides that he's not just going to, he's not going to settle for having Claire think that he can take care of her. He's going to make it known that he, it, it, by action, by, by very obvious and blunt action by shooting Ethan multiple times and killing him dead. Mm-hmm. And you can debate whether that's the right thing to do. And that's where I get stuck in this episode where it's like, what, what lesson do we learn here? Mm. Was cause I don't th- was it right to kill Ethan? Ethan's a murderer. I don't know. What do you what do you what do you think of this scene? Well, to me, I think I think Charlie is right mm-hmm. in that 
uh, they weren't going to get any info from Ethan. True. Like, I don't think, I think a guy who, you know, with the skills that Ethan had demonstrated in evading their capture when they set the traps for him and everything, and he, he swam to shore to kill Scott and everything, I I think obviously this guy is a force of nature like he is they're not gonna this group of you know random strangers from this airplane are not going to be able to get any info from someone like that yeah um he's somehow gonna escape or do more damage um as far as you know should he have just straight up killed him you know i i think that like, I don't know. I think that's super extreme immediately. But, you know, I mean, he basically saw a serial killer, you know, in Ethan. Like, that, he promised he would kill every single one of them until he was left. Um, mm-hmm. And he was doing it all to get to the person Charlie cares about most yeah. uh, in all of these people. So, I, you know... If nothing else, Charlie has a the most motivation that you could have, I think, in that scene to understand why he would he would just put an end to this this terrible person. So mm-hmm. um but yeah, I mean, as far as like the the thing we can take from this, I think it's just showing that Charlie um w- you know, has come to a point in his life where he is willing to go to the the farthest extreme that a person can go to kill someone um to you know get to what he is hoping for to be able to provide for someone else to take care of someone else that's the thing he's seeing as his highest purpose at this point um and he did it. So I don't know, you know, I mean, yeah. for, for his character, it's like, maybe that's the thing to take from it, that he's at that point where he would go as far as you can go to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, you can look at it that way. I don't think necessarily this shows that Charlie is fully, you know, he's, 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 I, I don't know how it's, Charlie hasn't found resolution with this. I don't think sure. he's he's satisfied by it. Mm-hmm. Um, his answers to Jack, where he says, "Jack says, why did you do this, Charlie?" He says, "Because he deserved to die. I wasn't going to let that animal anywhere near her again ever." Um, I think it's Charlie still grappling, kind of in that with his demons. Clearly, he's had development. I, I do wonder, you know, in saying that I, I wasn't going to let that animal ever anywhere near her again ever, he's sort of, he's projecting himself onto Ethan mm. in a weird way, or or the monster that he knows he used to be, and he used to let other people turn him into, or he's taking advantage of this defenseless woman. Mm. Um. And clear, and you know, killing a person outright like that—that's um, you're gonna wrestle with those demons too. So mm-hmm. it's it's messy. 
there's no clear cut resolution in this episode, I feel like, other mm -hmm. than kind of a little bit of one at the end there where Claire come, does come up to Charlie and she mentions the peanut butter. Mm -hmm. um, and I, she's starting to remember a little bit and she, her line at the end there is that little, little, little spark of redemption where she says to Charlie, I want to trust you. And I like that line because even that is not a resolution. You know, it's not mm -hmm. her saying, I trust you, but I no. want to trust you. I like, I really like that because that's her honest response to what is happening. Like, I want to, you know, he still maybe needs to earn her full trust, you know, because for all she knows, I mean, he's, she doesn't know him very well at this point, no. aside from the fact that he just killed someone, you know, yeah. but she knows she can see that the motivation was his caring for her. So I think, it, you know, it makes sense that she would say, I want to trust you rather than just being like, okay, I, you know, you've got my trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The fact that he went behind everyone's back when everyone had this plan, he shot him and killed him. Mm -hmm. uh, that that doesn't scream trust. Yeah. Uh, but clearly also the fact that he, he felt so passionately about protecting her that he would kill him. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that does speak to her a little bit. And she remembers the peanut butter and how he did that to, to help her uh, get her off the beach and out of the hot sun, that sort of thing. Right. It's, it's a mixed bag. Um, that's what makes loss great. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, and I love the fact that it's cool that they, you know, they tie up some loose ends a little bit at the end, you know, with Charlie saying like, we weren't going to get any info from him to Jack and all that. And then uh, Claire beginning to remember. Um, but I like the fact that this carries on into at least, I think the, the following episode with mm -hmm. Charlie having to deal with the fact that he, he killed a person, you know? Um, yeah. I just think it's, it's cool that this doesn't end in this episode. They, they continue that arc with Charlie of him having to reconcile or to, to reckon with what he's done. Um, cause it's a, it's a really some, sometimes a show or a movie can have a scene where a character does something like that. And then they, they just, you know, treat it more lightly than it would be in reality. And I, I like the fact that they continue this storyline uh, that Charlie did something like really a big deal. You know, he ended someone's life um, and there's, there's some stuff he has to reckon with beyond this. That's a really good point. Yeah. We'll have, I, I'm looking forward to watching the next episode outlaws again, because mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I remember that there's some of that in there. I'd like to really kind of dig in and look at how they handle that. That'll be interesting. Maybe there's more resolution there than there is mm -hmm. in this episode. Yeah. Cause Charlie is a great, great character. Um, one, one thing before we're, before we wrap this up, one thing I thought was interesting when I was looking up info about this episode is that I read in an interview that this is like Damon Lindelof's least favorite episode of Lost, which is a huge surprise to me. Like this episode of all episodes, for some reason, 
is one that he if not his least favorite it's one that he always thinks of as being a least favorite episode of his mm-hmm. um and he wrote this episode and so i i feel like maybe he's harsher on himself but um the reasoning was that he just didn't like their choices with charlie of just showing him like revisiting him as a person who just did drugs and and that was kind of his his ailment like his his tragic flaw Mm -hmm. um and i think that's just a really interesting thing um and in in light of that i think it's just cool to look forward to the fact that like charlie is a is a good character um and there's more to him than just his his past with drugs um and so the for what it's worth, I think it's cool to look forward to. Like, there's there's more arcs for him, I, and I don't think this was a bad episode. I think maybe he was being hard on himself, but anyway, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and they can't all be winners. Yeah. So if he's got to pick a least favorite, I could see you know Homecoming's a little bit of a there's there's it's very quick. You know, mm-hmm. we have a lot going on, and the flashbacks kind of like as we mentioned, maybe they fit, maybe they don't. Um, exactly well so i can see that but that's interesting yeah. that he would pick this one as his least favorite is that of the whole series or just one season i th- one? i think he said it was the whole series because wow. well in the in the interview he was it was when the series was done and he referenced uh he referenced that a lot of people think of a uh, stranger in a strange land um as their least favorite episode uh and he's like He's like, I think that's kind of a cheap shot or whatever. You know, like there were a few things in that episode that just didn't work. And so people um, bag on that one a lot. But um, but he it was interesting that he he talked about this one, because I feel like to me, if anything, if anything, this one's just kind of a middle of the road episode. Yeah. Um, So it's interesting that that he would be like, this is my least favorite. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I would if you had to ask me least favorite yeah stranger strange land would come to mind expose would come to mind but yeah maybe not this one so i know we're going a little long here maybe there are a couple other things in this episode maybe really quick we can touch on i don't think we need to take a break and come back but i did want to mention Jin's role in this episode Mm. uh there's a there's a couple moments with him of course he gets hit by ethan Poor guy. Uh, but, and we're going to get more into this in a couple episodes with in translation. But I do think it's significant that Jin decides to take an interest in the group when the pregnant girl comes back. Mm. Um, and he asks Sun, you know, if she thinks she's all right. And, and then he says, do you think the baby's all right? And he kind of looks at her. Um, this is a long time before we get the whole, um, son and Jen trying to have a baby thing. I don't think that comes in until two or three. Uh, mm. so it's like, did the writers already know that that would be significant? Them huh. trying to have a kid. Uh, if so, that's, that's foresight on their part. Yeah. Oh man. That's interesting. I, I was thinking during that moment, you know, I was just thinking about the tension of Sun 
keeping up appearances of yeah. not having any idea <laughs> what's going on. Um, and, uh, man, that would be so hard to, to just, you know, pretend like, oh, I can't understand what all these people around me are saying and, you know, keep that up around your spouse, you know, like, man, they, they play that scene very well. Um, mm-hmm. the, the two of them, uh, and, and what one of them knows and what the other doesn't. And, um, you know, in him asking that question, it's like, does Jin suspect that maybe she knows, um, you know, like that maybe she understands or is he still completely in the dark about that? Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I hadn't even thought about the whole them with kids sort of thing. Um, but that's really cool. But I think it's also important that Jin, you know, Jin has been, He's like, you just stick with me, son. We're not going to get involved with any of these people. He starts to take an interest in the group, starts to look outside the two of them there. And then he gets hit mm. by Ethan and he retreats back into himself. And basically his he, he says, the reason I was attacked was because of them. Their mm. fault. We don't want anything to do with these people. Uh, just kind of uh, an interesting little story arc in there where we see Jin start to poke his head out and then go back down. Um, and I think that's going to, uh, obviously we're going to get into more of that as we go here. I just wanted to, mm-hmm. wanted to mention that. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a lot packed in those three little moments of Jin. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Jin. Poor guy. Yep. Uh, and then the other thing, just really quickly before we jump off here, I did want to mention a couple of references. I don't know if you caught these. In oh the yeah. Episode. The when in the flashback when Charlie goes to the her the Lucy's flat and uh, he says, "Where is the old man?" And she says, "Oh, she he's out. Uh, I think he's out <laughs> buying some paper company in Slough," um, which is a reference to. The British office. <laughs> yep. Time. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I like how they put that in there. Just a little little Easter egg, uh, the reference. And then the other one, which I think might be a reference. I don't know if you caught this either. I'm not sure if they meant to do this. But when Charlie comes up to Jin. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> he's trying to talk to him. And then he says, what he says is, Anyang. Right, <laughs> yep. Jin's like Anya, which that's gotta be that's gotta be Arrested Development reference, right? It's just gotta be. When when I was watching this, I I had never, maybe I hadn't seen Arrested Development the last time I watched this episode. I don't know how long it's been, but when when he said that, I was like, wait, what, Anyang? <laughs> Anyang. Ah, oh, I and, love it. And if you don't get that reference out there, listeners, you got to go back and watch Arrested Development. Yes, Just fantastic show, um, full of references. Mm-hmm. I just appreciated that. That's got to be. If we ever get Cues and Lindelof on the show, remind me. I'm going to ask them if they meant to do that. We're going to ask them uh, whether uh, Jin peed on Hurley's uh, foot 
and whether this was a reference to uh, Arrested Development. Those are the two things we need to know. Definitely. The important questions. The hard-hitting interview. It's coming, eventually. On See You in the Life, brothers. <laughs> but, yeah, we've gone on long enough, I think, bud. I think we've covered Homecoming, unless you had anything else. I think that's about it for me. That is a... Uh... It's an interesting episode, for sure. For sure. But uh, thanks, as always, my brother, for talking loss with me. It's always a good time. Yeah, of course. Thanks for for talking. Yeah. And uh, we will be back next time with uh, a discussion of Outlaws. We'll get some Sawyer going here and maybe some more Charlie, obviously, so that'll be fun. But... Until then, we will see you in another episode, brothers. Bye. Bye.